Then the kingdom of heaven will be like this. Ten bridesmaids took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, all of them became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a shout, Look, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those bridesmaids got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise replied, No, there will not be enough for you and for us. You had better go to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they went to buy it, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him into the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the other bridesmaids came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he replied, Truly I tell you, I do not know you. Keep awake, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. This is the word of the Lord. It's already been 30 years since the Iranians seized American hostages in their country and kept them for months. It disrupted oil supplies in the Persian Gulf through the Middle East. There was an embargo, and suddenly service stations in the United States did not have enough gasoline to supply all of their customers. We were still in Beaumont, Texas in the late 70s. The two service stations nearest our church were running out of their rationing by 10 o'clock in the morning. You had to be there shortly after 6 a.m. or be sure that you got there shortly after 9 because you would usually wait in line for at least an hour and by 10 o'clock all the gasoline was gone. So suddenly in our part of the state of Texas we started seeing bumper stickers that said, if you don't have an oil well, get one. I thought about that when I read this passage, because immediately you see the word oil three times. But of course, this story is not about the kind of oil being produced in the Middle East today. It's about olive oil, olive oil that was used in lamps. And Matthew says, this is like the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. So let's take a look. The first thing I underlined here is that the bridegroom is late. We believe that Matthew did not write his gospel until about 55 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. When Jesus had died and been raised, many thought he would be back the next week, surely the next month or the next year. When Paul wrote the earliest of his letters that we have in the Bible, he thought he would certainly be around when Jesus came back. And by the time he wrote his last letter, even Paul had decided he probably was not going to be still living, that he too would need to be raised from the dead if he were going home with our Lord Jesus. This story says there's been a delay, a long delay. But finally, at an unexpected moment, at midnight, a shout, the bridegroom comes. Do you find it interesting how we keep up with time? A few weeks ago, right after I'd taught my Sunday school class and I was hurrying to get on to the library to pray with others, I saw one of the young families in our church who have a little girl I baptized. Uh, when I saw her, I was trying to remember how long it had been. I thought, hmm, about three years. She's a precious little girl. I squatted down in front of her out there in the hall, she with her mom and dad, 
And I said, are you three now? And her eyes narrowed a little bit and she said, three and a half. I know what that's like. I have grandchildren that want to be ten and three quarters, you know, so close to eleven now. But there comes a time when we no longer want to count halves and quarters. We don't even want to get to the next birthday. When we're young, time moves so slowly, and when we get older, it seems to move so fast. But it's about measuring time. A professor Stanford University in California, in the economics department, Dr. Chauvin has said that we have problems coming with our social security system and that we're going to have to make some adjustments as adjustments have already been made. Um, I chair the board of pensions for our conference and Gail and I heard a speaker this week say that uh, it was not so many years ago that one was taxed for social security purposes on the first $16,000 you made. Next year, that figure will be $97,500. So adjustments have already been made. But Dr. Chauvin was saying he thinks one of our problems is that we talk about how old we are, hence when we've earned retirement, and he thinks we should talk about how much time we have left. That we should be reminded regularly that according to the latest actuarial tables, you have... 17 more years, 6 months, and 13 days, or whatever. We should be reminded how much time we have left so that we can use the time we have left as productively and meaningfully as possible. Number two, when the shout came, notice that all of them had gone to sleep. All the bridesmaids were sleeping. This is not an indictment of rest or sleep. Simply that when the shout does come, some have prepared, some have not. And those who have not decide, would you give us some of your oil? Nope, sorry, we can't do that. We don't have enough and we would run out. So this is about doing the work we're supposed to do, each one for herself, himself. Years ago, when we were in Beaumont, Texas, we had a, a string of refineries uh, down the Natchez River uh, there, the Sabine River. Uh, one of those big ones was the DuPont Company. We had some of the upper management folks from DuPont, members of our church in Beaumont, and one of them had asked me one time if I would speak to their employees to see if I could motivate them to make the most of their time. I agreed that I would do the best I could. I spoke to them. He told the manager of the DuPont Works in Orange, Texas, and he invited me to come and speak to his employees. And a few months later, I was invited to fly across the country and speak at the headquarters of DuPont Chemical. One of the officials of the company met me at the airport and drove me into the DuPont complex. I was impressed. Building after huge, beautiful building of laboratories. One hotel, just the DuPont Hotel, for guests of the company and consultants who were coming in from time to time. And I said to this fellow, gee, what a big place. How many people work here? And he said immediately, about half of them. <laughs> There's a new book out called The Dream Manager. And a fellow named David Kelly has written this book. And David Kelly goes all over the country speaking to large corporations. And he says that it's not that half of them are doing nothing. It's that far too many are about half 
engaged. That is, they're doing something half the time, but the other half the time they're talking about football games that just occurred or football games that are about to take place. Or who's got how much money in the basketball pool or the World Series pool or whatever? Uh, how long till Thanksgiving? Where are you going? Have you made reservations, etc.? So many employees are 50% engaged, maybe 60%, 70%. How does one get everybody to be responsible about his or her uh, own opportunities? This is about each one's Preparation. Let's move to number three. Number three here. When the bridegroom came, those who were ready went with him. Now, I think points three and four are better understood if we see Matthew now is sort of wrapping up his gospel. That's where we are these last three weeks here in the liturgical year. So I've been spending this whole year with Matthew's gospel. Many of you have been as well. I think we understand the very end of his gospel better if we see Matthew's wrapping this all up. We need to go back to the beginning. Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5, 6, and 7. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do people light lamps and put them under bushel baskets, no, on candlesticks, so that they give light to all that are in the house. Let your lamp, says, let your lamp so shine that others may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now, let's be very clear here. We've loved the four months we've had with all of you confirmands and the 12 years before the four months. And you know that we've always talked to you about how you are saved by grace. God's grace. God's love that we have not earned in any way. God's love that's made clearest of all to us in His Son, Jesus. That Jesus becomes our Lord and our Savior when we see God's grace reaching out to us through Him. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, the Bible says. If you will open the door, I will come in to you and eat with you and you with me. And we've told you that that's grace of God in Christ, standing at the door and knocking. And if you open the door, grace comes in. So we're saved by grace alone, and we receive the gift by faith alone, by trusting that we are, in fact, loved of God. God loves us wants good to come to us. Okay, we're all clear about that. But there's much in the Bible about now that you know yourself loved of God, know that now that you know God has given you his gift of life, life abundant, life everlasting, what are your responsibilities? In one of Paul's letters, he says, so now work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now comes the part about letting your lamp shine. You're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. So what are you doing to make the world different? Just recently, I received a letter from an attorney here in Tulsa. He's not a member of our church. I got to know him years ago when we first came to Tulsa. And Gail and I were in a, a jogging exercise group at Whiteside Park. And this attorney jogged there along with a group of us guys. Uh, since we moved farther south, I haven't seen him in years. He wrote me a letter and said, I want to tell you of something that has changed my life. 
And I thought it interesting that he wanted me to know, but he wanted me to know. And he said, you can use my story if you will not use my name. He was sent down to El Salvador to a small village to check out all of the reports of massacres there during the great civil war in that country back in the early 1980s. And he was to write about what really happened there. Well, he discovered in El Salvador that this village was so small and so remote that there were only dirt roads to it with huge wallowed out holes in the road. It was difficult to get there. But once he got there and started his investigation, he discovered that, in fact, more than a thousand people in a very small village had died in that civil war and that none of them were combatants. They weren't soldiers of either side. They were caught in the middle and men, women and children had been slaughtered. Uh, he was taken with the poverty of the people who survived. He got to know a group of Roman Catholic nuns. They are Irish, came from Ireland to staff this school in El Salvador. And through these nuns, he came to realize just how great the needs are in this small village in El Salvador. Last Sunday, I was telling you about apples on a tree in our church library. The Reverend Eva Marie Campbell had prepared that apple tree. Years ago, after we adopted Burroughs School as our children, that we want every child at Burroughs to do wonderfully well, Eve Marie asked a number of the teachers there, is there anything you need that the state of Oklahoma or Tulsa Independent School District is not providing for you that if you had it, you could be more effective? All kinds of hands went up. Would you write that down for me? And so she took these needs of those teachers and she wrote one on the back of each one of the apples. Apple for a teacher. The apples were put on a tree in the church library. And you were invited to come and pick an apple. Some of the things they need are more expensive. Some are less expensive. Pick an apple that fits you. Take it shopping this week. Buy whatever is written on that apple. Bring it back. And Eva Marie will be sure that that gets to that teacher so he or she can be more effective. You know what this lawyer learned about El Salvador? The Salvadoran government gives these nuns four cents per child per day for their education. Eight dollars a year for each child. That's it. And suddenly this man saw what a gift he could make, what a difference it would make if he gave these nuns ten dollars. Well, that would be more than was being spent on one child in a whole year. A $20 check, a $50 check, a $100 check, a $500 check, a $1,000 check. And this is what he wanted me to know. I've always tried to work hard. I've made a fair amount of money. I've bought some expensive things. And my trips to El Salvador have ruined all that for me, he said. They've ruined all that for me because I've discovered that these luxury items I thought were so important are not nearly so important as my helping to make a difference in a Catholic school in El Salvador. Let your lamp shine. Whatever the time before our Lord comes, and it may be thousands more years, none of us knows. Jesus himself said, 
I don't know. God didn't tell me what the end time will be. Uh, he will do things as He chooses to do things. In the meantime, Matthew's saying, lamps trimmed, filled with oil, and this oil is about doing good works before others that they may see your Father who is in heaven and glorify Him. Number four. Well, they rushed off in the middle of the night to buy oil, finally got to the party, door locked. They started banging on the door. Lord, Lord, they cry out. And Matthew sort of loves these gruesome images. He talks about weeping and gnashing of teeth in a number of other places. At the end, weeping and gnashing of teeth if you haven't done your job well. But I believe he's also going back to that Sermon on the Mount again. Right at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God, but those who do the will of my Father who sent me. So again, grace is your gift straight from God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But doing the will of our Father who sent us is the next important thing that the rest of our lives we're seeking the guidance and direction of God to do what we're supposed to do that would be in accord and keeping with the will of God. All the folks my age know an actor named Jeff Daniels. Jeff Daniels grew up in a small town in the state of Michigan. The name is Chelsea. It has 4,700 people. Uh, I know a lot of towns in Texas with 4,700 people. Uh, what would that be here? Drumright or something maybe? Uh, Henrietta? I don't know what their population is. 4,700 is not very many. Jeff Daniels grew up in this small town. In sixth grade, same grade most of our confirmands are in now, he was in a, in a choir at school, music, music class. And one of his teachers decided that these children in this small town school needed more confidence, a little more poise. And she decided that if they were to perform a little bit, if they learned how to be on stage, it would help them. And so she had asked Jeff Daniels if he would come up, and she whispered to him what she wanted him to do to Im improvise, to act out something, and see if the other students could guess what it was. And each of them had a turn on stage as well. Well, he said when that class was over, he didn't really have any close contact with that teacher again for four years. Now, he was a sophomore in high school, and this teacher said, We're about to do a Broadway musical, South Pacific. I think you would make a great sailor in South Pacific. And she talked him into it. He joined the cast and had a, a relatively unimportant role compared to the major roles. But he did really well, she thought. And when she started casting the music man, she asked him to audition for Professor Harold Hill. When she cast Oliver, she asked him to audition for Fagin, and he was playing the lead. When they did Fiddler on the Roof, she told him he could make a great Tevye. He should audition, and he was Tevye. When he was 21 and out of college, he went off to New York to see if he could make it as a professional actor. The first role I remember seeing him in in a movie was Ragtime. I saw him in Gettysburg as a, as a, a, a general. Uh, Woody Allen had him play a lead role in The Purple Rose of Cairo and so on. Jeff had gone back to his hometown to marry his high school sweetheart. Uh, they made their 
home in New York for a time and then in California where the big studios were, had two little children. And then one day they were talking about where they wanted their children to grow up and both decided Chelsea, Michigan. They wanted to go back home to Chelsea, Michigan. His wife said, but what if somebody calls and wants you to play in a movie? And he said, airports in Detroit go all over the world. I can get where I need to be. Let's go home to Chelsea. And one of the things they did in Chelsea was to buy an old warehouse and turn it into a theater. And since one of his best and most highly acclaimed role was in that Woody Allen movie, they decided to call it the Purple Rose Theater after the Purple Rose of Cairo. And they started looking for children in Chelsea who maybe were not being noticed by anyone else, not being recognized by anyone else. The quiet ones, the shy ones, maybe the artistic ones. And they've been home long enough and the theater's done well enough that child after child has become college age, has gone off to the university, has succeeded. When I told this story at the 8.30 service, was standing out in the hallway after shaking hands, a man came up to me and said, I've been in the Purple Rose Theater in Chelsea, Michigan. They do great work there. This is what I want you to hear. Jeff Daniels and his wife are Christian. I read this story in Guidepost magazine. They are Christian. They worship regularly. Church is really important to them. But Jeff said, maybe I can really sum up our attitude from what I learned in Boy Scouts. Leave every place better than you found it.